Okay, so welcome to the program. Again, this is a um, an experiment. I'm new at this. And I guess that, um, I don't know, I, I think that I'm live at this point. But um, I'm patient about this. These are all new technologies to me. My goal is to do the program Monday through Friday, 12 noon, and eventually be able to um, take um, guests who uh, want to simply uh, call in. I'm not sure how it happens. I'm learning. I'm going through the tutorials. I'm really dense when it comes to these things. But, you know, it's like anything else. It's like learning how to drive a car. Once you know how to do it, it becomes internalized and then you're in it. So be patient with me. I really apologize if, if I, if I'm not able to, um, to accept guest requests. I know that there are several people who are trying to get on with me and I'd love to have them do it. Um, but uh, I'm not, you know, again, I'm, I'm a little ham handed. Be patient because if I can't do it today, I will do, I will get it done, um, uh, tomorrow and the next day. I'm, I'm in the process, as I say. Uh, of doing this wonderful thing. It's amazing too. And I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, besides doing the regular uh, program at 12 noon, where my goal is to build a Facebook community. I've got 5,000 followers. I hope to invite each and every one of you personally to join me. And if you don't want to join or you don't want to continue, then I'll ask you to defriend me so I can make room for other people who would like to come in because I got a list of people who would like to join the page. And um, the reason I called it the Morse Force is because I hope it becomes a force. I hope it becomes a force of people. Um, I had a program years ago at a radio station up in Woburn, Massachusetts, where a regular guest of mine said I should call it the Morse Force because. People were, it was amazing. People were walking in off the street to join me. I had, I mean, just incredible characters and great conversations. And I had fascinating guests. And we would really, every night, I, I, was, I was like a, I just loved it. It was, it just, we would mix it up and we would talk about all sorts of things. I mean, some of the people were hysterical. I mean, I just had a ball with that. And my goal is to, is to re recreate that, even though, I'm not going to have a studio where we can all sit around a big oak table. Nevertheless, we can do it online on Facebook and have just one heck of a time. Um, I've got interesting guests I'm going to be inviting on once I figure out all of the ins and outs. And then some pretty good people. I mean, Pam Geller wants to come on. Um, you know, David Horowitz wants to come on. I've got a long list of people that I've known over the years that used to come on with me when I did conventional radio that I want to have come on, but I'm not yet ready to, to do that only because the technology is still new to me and I want to get used to it. So right now I am going to fly solo and hope to invite you, the listener to join me if you're able to. So I'm, I'm hoping that I'm on the air right now. It says I'm on the air and, uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, anyway, uh, tonight is, of course, the State of the Union Address by President Donald J. Trump, delivered the first Tuesday of Jan of, of February, I think it is, or or what, a, it's a constitutional issue when it is to be delivered. Traditionally, the president would send it up to Congress in a, in the form of a um, of a document. 
um, the first president to actually go down to Congress and address Congress in person was Woodrow Wilson. And Wilson also was the last president to write his own speeches completely. Uh, not one of my favorite presidents, but yet, you know, it, kind of the old mold in, in that way. Um, President Trump actually does play a much larger role, I think, in writing his speeches than many recent presidents. I think Reagan did as well. Um, and if it's anything like his inaugural address, we, we can certainly look forward to a tremendous uh, presentation and, and, and exposition of, of, what his, of, of who he is and what his movement is all about. And it is a very exciting movement. Um, you know, this is, uh, it's, it's simple. It speaks directly to you. You know, people criticize Trump for being too blunt, for being too, at times, ribald and use of nasty language, which they all do, but he does it publicly. I mean, I personally think it's hysterical. I mean, I, to me, it's like, it's about time somebody took a little poke at some of these smug, arrogant people. Look at like a guy like John Kerry, right? Every word that he says is all couched in this pseudo-British accent with, with, with circumlocutions and sophistries, and he talks in a code language. It was French philosopher Elaine Beniscon who once referred to this as totalitarian language. We've gotten so used to that. Obama was classic at it. He was slick. He looked great. He moved great. It was almost like a like a um, a superhero out of a um, you know out of an animated game, um, but yet the language that he used, if you listen to it, it was the language of imprecise double talk. Everything was couched in pseudo intellectual code, which by which he would be speaking to the American people on one level, which was, gee, he's so smart. It sounds good. Wow. But yet we don't know what the heck he was talking about. We just walk away with this vague feeling of like, eh, I guess that everything is okay because the smart people are taking care of us and they know what they're doing. But at the same time, on the other side of the coin, he was saying things to people who were of the same level of, of uh, mindset where there's all this double meaning and innuendo. And uh, Donald Trump has thrown the book at that. He has brought back the language of common people, of, of, of simple, direct lingo. Sometimes it's ribald. I'm not always comfortable with it. I mean, I don't like some of his um, elocutions. Um, Heather, are you there? I, I'm good, Heather. I mean, I'm, I, I think I'm on the air at this point. You are. You are. I, I do want you to call in by all means. Um, thank you. Let, let's hope I could get you on. You know, again, I, if I can't, I apologize, but I will eventually. No, no, no. Call right in. Come on, come on down. And, and I say to the uh, the listeners across the board, I have had my spiel. Let's get let's get to it. Let's hear from uh, the um, you know people on Facebook. I mean, what what's on your mind this afternoon? Not only will you. Yep. Go ahead. All right. Not only will you be heard, if I can get this done, but you'll be seen on a double split screen, I understand. You know, I did it yesterday, 
somehow today it just isn't going quite the same. I think it's because I'm trying a different mode here. But um, if you do want to join me, and I am able to get you on the air, the show will be archived on my YouTube channel, which is The Morse Force. And by the way, I urge you to subscribe to The Morse Force. And if you do and send me an email, I'll send you a free copy of one of my eBooks. my latest one being Communism is Not Dead. And I'm trying to, you know, beef up my subscriptions on YouTube, of course. Why not? And you can watch uh, all of these videos archived, but you can also um, see special videos I may do in the course of the day uh, outside of Facebook. I mean, it's amazing what you can do now. I mean, I could just turn the YouTube app on right on my, my uh, smartphone and just, you know, let it rip. So you get the special editions. And you get a free ebook from me, which are all my books are available, by the way, at Amazon Books. Excuse me. Um, so come on down, come and join. You know, you'll be there forever. We'll see your face on YouTube, and it'll stay there for until YouTube eventually throws throws me to the wind. I don't know whenever. I don't think that'll happen. Anyway, so. President Trump, getting back to the subject, and again, you're welcome to join me. Well, let's see. Hello? Hello? Did I lose you? Uh, no, I'm here. You know what? I don't think I'm going to be able to get you on the actual um, tube, but I do have you on the speakerphone here, so you will, you will be heard. So let's let's talk. What's on your mind? Have I read what? Infiltration. No, tell me about it. Oh my gosh. Okay, first of all, I have to tell you. You need to read the book. It's amazing. And I've been trying to get you to read this book for a while, but I have Well, yes. Right. You know, I have to tell you that, excuse me, but this we do have some connectivity problems here. You're sort of breaking up on me. So this is what I suggest. We'll have to do this the old-fashioned way. You can call me on my regular phone, and I'll pick it up. The, and let me give you the phone number. I don't mind doing that. The, the num Yep, sure. Um, we'll, we'll get it done here. The, the number is area code six. Are you ready? No, not yet. Oh, okay. No, no, no problem. I might even be able to click click up the Facebook scene so I can hold you up to the um, <laughs> the camera. We'll see. I mean, yeah, I'll figure this thing out. This is this is great fun for me. All right, are you ready? Oh, okay. No problem. Uh, are you ready for the number? Okay, all right. Maybe uh, get out. Uh, get out. Yes, all right. Hold on. All right, I think I'm going to vamp a little bit while we get the number ready here. Okay. All right, are, are you, okay, here goes. Area code 617-271-5044. 
617-271-5044. Got it? All right. All right, so you, I guess that we'll have to do this the old-fashioned way. You can call in, and then I'll put it on speakerphone, and we can hear it that way. You know, this is kind of like, even though this is cutting-edge technology, and it's a wonderful technology, um, BeLive is a tremendous service of, of Facebook, and I'm very grateful for it. Uh, because of my own troglodytic ways, my own, ne my own Neanderthal manners, I, I, it's like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, as a kid, you know, putting, you know, playing in the schoolyard, you're playing in the backyard with my friends and putting two soup cans with a little hole in it and a string. And we're trying to talk to each other. I remember one Christmas growing up, the big craze was walkie talkies. Oh my God, we loved those. We were running around the streets talking, come in, come in, you know. I mean, I'm aging myself, but, you know, that, that's what this feels like. So, here we go. Um, so we have the group happening, but I just, uh, I'm going to have to consult with the Facebook gods to figure out for tomorrow how to get people into the mix in terms of putting them on the air. But in the meantime, um, you know, you could call me up on the old, on the old, um, you know, the old Ma Bell, the old phone, and uh, I'll put you on that way. Anyway, so. Getting back to my issues here, we, we can look forward to President Trump once again delivering a clear and concise speech uh, where he really communicates. You know, they say he's a bad communicator. I disagree. He's The problem for the establishment is that he's a very good communicator. He speaks plainly, so we actually know what's going on. And there is a lot of good things happening right now in this country, both tangible good things like a, an unprecedented improvement in economic opportunity on Wall Street for working people. You know, we're getting one to two, $1,000 to $2,500 bonuses, what Nancy Pelosi calls crumbs, right? You know, she's one of the richest members of Congress. I wonder if she's... I wonder if her, her husband's vineyards and, and hotels are giving away any crumbs to their non-union employees. I wonder. You know, the Democrats really have a wonderful issue to run on there, don't they? Right? President Trump's tax cuts weren't enough for working people. Oh, but I know we're supposed to you know, hate the fact that they made rich people richer. You know, they want to play, the, play to the worst side of our human nature. They want to make us... You know, they, they play up to our, our, our envy and our greed. You know, it's like the guy looking down the street and seeing somebody who has a bigger house than he has and a prettier wife than he has and a better car than he has. And he's he's just, you know, stewing with envy. It re, the very sight of him reminds him of his own failings, right? Because that's how he sees himself. He doesn't have to see himself that way. I don't see myself that way, and I'm certainly no... I'm not by any means a person of means. But you know, whatever it is, we all have our envy. That's the dark side of human nature. And, of course, the left and Nancy Pelosi with her crumbs, 
They want to play on that. They want to exploit that. They want to say, you see that guy down the street who has all that property? Well, we can take it away from him, and we can give a little of it to you because you want it, not because you did anything to actually earn it, but just because it bothers you that he has it. So they go in and they try to rip off the successful person, either with high taxes or onerous regulations to make it difficult for him to be in business. And then they throw literally some crumbs, if anything, off the table for you just so you'll shut up and vote for them. But what they really do is they enrich their public government. They enhance their power. They, they concentrate their, their ability to control aspects of our lives. That's what they really do with the money. And, you know, the irony of the whole thing, by the way, is that the very richest Americans, and God bless them, they have a right to it, they're all liberals, or, or the vast majority of them are liberals. The vast majority of them are left of center. They're not radical left-wingers. Of course, they have alliance with them, and they have sympathy for them. But they're left. They're on the left. They give to left-wing causes. They support left-wing candidates. They're big supporters of the Democratic Party. And, um, you know, we could take a look if you want any proof. Forbes magazine publishes an annual Top 100 Richest Americans. They derive their research from things like tax returns and, and other sources. And if you take a look at the top 10 richest, the, vast, the majority of those people are liberals. And on the left, you know, people like um, Jeff Bezos. I mean, what an amazing company that is, Amazon. It's incredible. He's one of the richest men. I just saw an article about him. They say that he may be the richest man to ever live. He's worth, I think it was, I'd say, $300 billion, right? Bill Gates, the late Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, my wonderful company here that's hosting me. And again, I mean, I, God bless them all, but I'm simply pointing out that these people are liberals. They are on the left. The guys at Google, uh, companies like Costco is very liberal. Remember, they tried to ban uh, Dinesh D'Souza's book. Uh, progressive insurance. You take a look at the big insurance companies. They tend to be liberal. The big law firms tend to be liberal. And, and of course, the, the cultural, the, the Hollywood, you know, the publishing industry, the television, newspapers, they're all liberal, 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 right? These are the rich left establishment. It's what uh, used to be called euphemistically the Eastern Seaboard Liberal Establishment. Yeah, there's a few conservatives in there. On the top 10, I'd even say the top 20, the ones that we can discern their politics, they're liberals. Others they don't have, they're not politically active. You know, you have what's called the institutional donors, people who are not political. They simply support whichever side is going to help their industry, you know, like the drug companies, right? Um, you know, big pharma. The, you know, these people generally are not, they'll, they'll give money and they'll support candidates because they think someone's going to win. And they usually give money to both sides. I learned this when I ran for Congress in 2004. 
and I had the opportunity to research the uh, the roles of big contributors. That's what you do when you run for office. And you have to contact people and, and ask them for money. Every candidate does this. Left, right, and center. That's just how you do it. That's you don't go you, you, anyone who's in office, I can guarantee you, they do what's called dialing for dollars. They contact people and ask for money. You have to. I mean, Donald Trump is doing it in the White House. Barack Obama did it in the White House. Everyone from president on down to your local, you know, student, city councilor, uh, or, or school board member, they're 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 asking people for donations. So you and it's all part. It's all public record in the federal, federal. Uh, what is it? The Federal Election Commission. They keep records of this. So you know who's giving what, and how much. And you have what's called ideological donors and institutional donors. Ideological donors are people who believe in something, whether it be liberal or conservative, and they support candidates accordingly. Um, institutional donors give to both sides. They give to the winner. And that's why, for example, Barack Obama in 2008 got more Wall Street money than any presidential candidate in history combined, I think, because they knew he was going to win. And they wanted a bet like horse betting, right? So once he was in office, he would then be beholden to them. He would represent their interests, assumedly, not necessarily. But, you know, when someone coughs up a big piece of, of dough, you can assume that they're going to be friendly. Elizabeth Warren here in Massachusetts, more corporate money supported her and put her in office than any candidate for the U.S. Senate in Massachusetts history. You know, you hear her bellowing and, and, and braying about the, the top 1% and the millionaires and billionaires, you're not going to hear her criticize Jeff Bezos. You're not going to hear her criticize Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett because these people are big liberal donors, right? I mean, she's it's all very vague, but besides, she represents them, putting that aside. How did I get on this? Um Anyway, the point is that um, President Trump, I mean, actually got very little money from the corporate world. They hate Trump because he doesn't, you know, they've always hated Trump, even when he was in New York. He's never been well received by the sort of the corporate establishment, which is primarily liberal. And he's very independent and he's a maverick in the real sense. And that's why they despise him. And they despise Trump also. And when I say hate Trump, talking liberal Democrats, I mean the establishment Republicans. I mean the internationalists, you know, the people who want world order. These people fear and hate Trump. That's what this is all about. It has nothing to do with whether he made some stupid comment about shithole nations or something like that. That would all be forgiven if he was on the right side. That would We wouldn't know about it. We never knew about what Kennedy was up to or Lyndon Johnson um, you know, or the, or the Clintons. I mean, talk about corruption. My God, I mean, they talk about enriching yourself in office and doing things to enrich yourself both in the presidency, I mean, going back to the governorship in Arkansas and right through to the, the Senate and then on to the Secretary of State. Everything they did was to enrich themselves, and the establishment gave a no. You know, they kind of looked the other way, and they, 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 uh, you know, gave them the pass because they're liberals. 
because they're on the right side of history. They get away with it. They can do it. In fact, it's, they, they almost feel like it's okay. After all, they're good socialists, and they're doing the bidding of the establishment. So that, that's their reward, right? I mean, if you and I had did even a, a hundredth of the percent of the kind of stuff the Clintons did, we'd be in the slammer for life, I'm telling you. But putting that aside, anyway. So tonight we have the, the great speech by a president who actually speaks plainly and actually represents the American people. I really believe that about Donald Trump. You know, and he said so as much during the campaign. But Donald Trump is one of these people who he's made his money. He doesn't need any more money. He's a billionaire. He's famous. He's on the cover of magazines. He's loved. He's got a beautiful, beautiful family. He's got everything you could want. And he's, I think he's about 70 years old. And he's actually, I believe, a person who has decided as he reaches, you know, as Sinatra said, the final curtain in life, that he wants to do something that has more meaning for his country and for the world. And so he's stepping into the position, not because he's super ambitious. He's not crazy like a guy like John Kerry or Hillary Clinton. These people, they're, they're not normal. They, 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 they crave, you know, power. I don't think Trump craves power. Trump has power. He would have more power if he wasn't president in a way. You know, he's not doing himself any favors by being president. He's not going to get any richer. He's not going to get any more famous. Look what he's put his family through. Look at the, I mean, you know, I mean, there were death threats and, and, and it's just the nastiness and the hate and the ugliness of, of his enemies and the viciousness. I mean, they've made sacrifices. They don't have to do this. I mean, Ivanka Trump is, is an extremely glamorous, beautiful woman who had a very successful, uh, you know, designer business. I think she made designer bags or, or something. She doesn't need this, this kind of crap. I mean, she'd be fine. You know, I think that, that, uh, yeah, they don't, certainly don't need the money, but they don't need this kind of abuse. You know, they're basically New York liberals. I mean, you know, Ivanka and Jared Kushner. I mean, they don't, you think they need this? This isn't, this, we're not doing them. They're not getting any favors. Donald Trump is doing this, I think, at great personal sacrifice, actually. To me, it's almost a miracle that he's, that he's doing this. I mean, I can't believe it. Every day I think about it. I mean, I'm amazed. I, I pray for him, and I'm not a praying kind of a man either. But I find myself almost praying for him, or even praying for him, actually, to be perfectly honest. Why not? So, you know, he'll step up tonight. I mean, apparently in Davos, he went there to with, with, with people who are, are into this kind of vague, globalistic view of the world where everything is a lot of double talk, everything is a lot of... Um, indirection. And, and when I say that, I don't even think it's necessarily conscious. I think it's just people become that. They're, they're educated that way. And they, they, they almost become a hologram. They're not even there. And he just spoke plain truths. He's like, hey, 
I'm here to represent my country, come to America and invest in America. And by the way, represent your own countries as well. And, and, and you know, he believes in the concept of sovereignty, a very progressive idea, I may add. And I think that in a way he kind of won them over. I mean, they understood what he was saying. And it was like, you know, success and clarity and common sense. These are contagious things. And, you know, some people who are in many ways well-meaning, even if they've been hypnotized by this, I hate to use the word satanic, but, you know, indirect, you know, force, they can wake up. They can be woke, as, as they say now, in the real sense. Speaking of which, and I think I'm going to wind it up pretty soon. And uh, hopefully when I come back tomorrow at noon, I'll be able to uh, get things going in terms of guests. I'm really looking forward to that. But I, I think I'm going to wait. I'm going to go through some tests with that, with the uh, the BeLive people before I, I do that. Because um, I don't want to invite any more people until I really have that down. And then I'm going to start inviting people. So, again, I apologize if you're listening and you wanted to join the show. Um, really, I, I hope you accept my sincere apology. I just thought I knew what I was doing, but I, I didn't quite get it right. Um, tomorrow will be better, <laughs> and each day better than that. But I just want to finish up by making one more observation, and that is that um, the one thing that I think drives the left crazier than anything else right now Bigger than the fact that the country is humming economically. You know, that, well, that's because Obama did this. What a bunch of bull. Even more than the sovereignty issue, which they despise. Even more than putting judges on the bench who actually believe in the Constitution and who intend to uphold it. Even more than that. They are terrified. They are shaking in their boots over the possibility that Donald Trump may make inroads in the minority community, in the black community, in the Hispanic community, even in the Muslim community. They, th this is their constituents. This, these are, you know, th th they want to gin up this hatred, you know, to keep people mobilized and off-center by thinking, oh, well, Donald Trump, he has something against black men and women after all, right? You can't support him. So they, they work this agenda. I mean, this is, this is the, the, the cornerstone of their faith. When the fact is that, first of all, they have never done a damn thing for black people or for minorities. What have they done positively, really? They offer two things and two things only, welfare and abortion, okay? I, I defy you to give me something else. Have they done anything to improve the economic condition in minority neighborhoods? Have they done anything to improve the black family, to improve the crime rates in those neighborhoods, and to get rid of drugs and illegal gangs coming into the country? Have they done anything to improve the schools in those neighborhoods by teaching young children how to read rather than use these liberal modalities that teach them how to be dumb, like look, say, reading, so they have illiterate children? 
Have they done anything to inspire people spiritually? Have they helped the black church? Have they, in other words, have they done anything for black people positive? No, they've done everything negative. They've, they've destroyed the black family. They've destroyed the black church. And when I say destroyed, I know I'm using hyperbola. They, they've damaged. This is more accurate. They've hurt black neighborhoods by letting criminals out on the street. They've, um, they, they've hurt black families with welfare and paying people, paying women to have children out of wedlock and to not get married, make it financially advantageous. You know, they, they've used programs to hurt the black family and to hurt black people. And yet they point a finger at, at Donald Trump, who actually has a positive program of bringing in money, bringing in investment so people can get started in business, so they can get a job, so they can get up in a company, so the companies can start locating in these bad neighborhoods. I mean, that's what's going to drive his numbers up. I mean, already there's a recent poll indicating that Trump's support among black men has doubled. It was about 9% at the time of the election. Now it's 18%. Now that's still a far cry from where it could be. But I predict that this year and into next year, Donald Trump and his movement are going to make inroads into the black community and into the minority community and even into millennials who are, who are mostly just, you know, into whatever looks good and, you know, they've become somewhat dumbed down and, you know, just, uh, you know, the beautiful people. I had a guy in my car the other day. I mean, I, I drive Uber. That's one of the, that's how I pay the bills. I picked him up at a hotel. He was attending the um, Model UN, which is an interesting program. My daughter did it. And I drove him to the, uh, to the bus terminal so he could get, get home or get back to his private school. He goes to Groton. We're talking about very liberal elite, you know, blonde hair, white guy. You know, he and he was, uh, you know, he hates Trump. And, and, and I, I spoke to him and I said, look, I understand that this is what you're taught right now and that to even think otherwise is not, it, it, it could lead to social ostracism. It could hurt you in your, your literally hurt you in your, your schooling and your, your career. I get that. You could be penalized. You could be hurt. In, in, in terms of teachers giving you bad grades, in terms of getting a, a better job. I get that. You can't come out and support Donald Trump publicly. You can't even let yourself think it privately. Right? Except the liberal left agenda, and you kind of keep your head a little low, and you, keep, you go along to get along. I get that. Look, I've got nothing to lose. But I understand the social pressures. I understand where people are coming from. You have to take care of yourself first, and this is what you have to do. So you internalize it. And I just said to him that while I understand this, I would suggest that in his quiet heart of hearts, in his moment of reflection, he think about it. He take a look objectively. Doesn't have to articulate it. Doesn't have to tell anyone. Just think about it. Just step back and use some common sense. Just take a look at some of the issues, right? And ask yourself, 
Which makes more sense? What Donald Trump and his movement believe in or what the left is saying? Just examine it and maybe, maybe you may begin to think not only for yourself, but you maybe even begin to think, which is what I was talking about yesterday on my show, you'll be able to start thinking constitutionally, right? What's good? What does the Constitution say? So anyways, on that note, I'm going to thank you for listening this afternoon. It's been a great experience. I am looking forward to broadcasting every day now and getting things up and running so that I can invite guests and I can invite callers not only to be heard but to be seen because, as I said, yesterday I did a split-screen interview with Hal Shirtliff. He's the director of Camp Constitution. You can see that on my YouTube channel, by the way. And if you subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is the Morse Force, um, you'll get special features because I do some broadcasting separately on that channel from time to time. And I'll send you a free ebook um, of one of my books. I've written over 15 books. They're all available on Amazon. I'll send you one for free. The one I'll probably send is, is, you know, communism is not dead. It's my latest. Um, so anyways, again, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. It's been great fun. Have a good day, everybody.